postmodern and post-Christian are both terms that the, the church seriously needs to retire. We're going to the world to tell them who we are, and we're not going to the world to present who God is. The world in which so much is focused on building walls and keeping people out. An alternative way to live is to live by... It's almost like raising up white flag and saying, Ah! It's all the secular people's fault that no one's listening or coming to our evangelistic campaign. How can we redesign Adventism to be effective at reaching emerging Western culture? That's what the Story Church podcast is all about. Adventism Redesigned. Hey everyone, it's Pastor Marcus here, and I want to welcome you back to the Story Church Podcast. I've been on a big break uh, over the holidays, and I am super stoked to be back for another season. So welcome back, you guys. So glad to, to have you here with me again uh, on this new year 2021 getting back into the story church podcast getting back into the story church project and seeing just the crazy cool places that god's going to take us this year so this year i want to begin with another Pottenar season if you guys remember i did that last year i started i moved away from just doing random episodes to doing Pottenars, which um are essentially podcast seminars so you, you see the connection there i'll, I'll let you figure it out uh Pottenars, um, because it allows me to really dig into a topic, really dig into a theme um, and explore it in depth. And so we are now at season three. All right. We are season three. Season one, I believe, was, uh, man, let me think back to my own <laughs> my own episodes here. We had uh, season one, Understanding the Secular Mind, and then season two, Adventism for a Post-Church Generation. And now we're getting into season three. And check this out, you guys. I'm going to I am going to read to you the title of season three. And you're going to be like, yes, although you've probably already seen it on a link on social media or something, which is why you're here. But here's the title for season three, Ministering with the LGBTIQ Community. That is the title. And some of you are like, yes, we have been waiting for this for forever. Um, and, and I've been waiting for it as well. And I'm just really excited. This is going to be fun, guys. Now, I want you to notice what I said in that title. I said with, not to. And uh, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about this because uh, I really want to begin this this conversation with this premise in mind. The LGBT community is not a project that we are doing something to. All right, they are they are human beings made in the image of God, beautiful people, complex people. And I, what I want to ask is, how can we work? with them how can we minister with them how can we build the kingdom with them and and so man i'm just super super stoked to explore this really topic uh really important topic sorry about that um, really important topic um and for those of you who are passionate about connecting with and reaching the culture this is hands down one of the biggest themes to explore unpack and dance with uh, so if you're a missional Adventist and you're like, hey, I want to plant a church, I want to reach the culture, I want to do ministry to the culture, you you got to wrestle with this thing right here. You, you really have to, to dance with, um, with this topic. So I'm going to get going, guys. I'm going to dive into it. But here's the thing. This conversation is just significantly beautiful, so beautiful, I can't do it alone. So for this whole season, I've actually joined by an amazing human being with an amazing name as well and uh, he is a brilliant think tinker uh, and a brilliant thinker and and also a pastor did i get that right pastor yes pastor yes. a brilliant thinker and a pastor paul anthony 
Wait, 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 wait. I need to go back because I missed the H. I gotta, I gotta get this name right, guys. His <laughs> name is just lit. Paul Anthony Turner. There we go. Paul, welcome to the podcast, man. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Did you do that introduction was just amazing, wasn't it? It was it was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Paul, yeah. man. Look, seriously, I'm so excited to have you on here. Uh, the very first time um, I ran into your ideas, your message, I was listening um Advent Next. The Advent Next ah, yeah. podcast with Kendra mm-hmm. Arsenault. Um, and yeah. you were on there doing some interviews with her. And I'm listening to this stuff in my car. And I'm thinking, wow, I want to talk to this guy. This guy has some really profound things to say. And yeah, here we are. Here we are. Um, I'm really excited. <laughs> now, Paul, we're going to get into some deep stuff. Uh, we're going we're gonna to have fun. But I want to begin. Look, just tell us a little bit about the legend of Paul Anthony. <laughs> Gosh. Oh my goodness. How do I climb down from this pedestal? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah. So, hey everyone, my name is Paul Anthony. Um, from the United States. Um, I'm a pastor. Um, I'm doing my PhD in philosophy at the university of Kentucky. Um, and I am a, I'm a gay Christian and have a really interesting story. Hopefully it will be an interesting story to you. Um, hopefully my perspectives will help, um, maybe stir the pot a little bit, maybe in, in a healthy way, um, and, and foment some interesting conversations in the church about how we can better interact with, um, the LGBT community, which I deeply love. They are my people and, um, I want to see us better engage with that community. Um, born Adventist. Um, I'm an Adventist of Adventists. Um, I'm hardcore Adventist. <laughs> but, so you love haystacks is what you're saying. Love the haystacks. Yeah. Is that, do you guys do that in Australia? Oh yeah, man. Oh yeah. It's a right. It's a, you can't, you can't be a baptized member of the Adventist church if you don't eat haystacks. <laughs> <laughs> That's gotta be uh, fundamental belief 29, man. We need to study set on that. <laughs> Facts, facts, though. Facts, facts. <laughs> but yeah, so raised Adventist all my life. Um, and, you know, just through a series of, um, you know, revelations from the time I was a child. And I realized that I was gay. And slowly over time, I'm accepting the fact that I'm gay um, and learning to see it as being a beautiful thing, um, even though I've been raised to believe that everything about it is just this, this really bad thing. Um, and so right now, I'm just um, I want to use the gifts that God has given me to advocate for LGBT people in our church, um, no matter whether someone takes a progressive biblical sex ethic um, toward marriage and sex or a traditional biblical sex ethic toward marriage and sex. I want to see the Adventist church become a, a, a safe place for, for LGBT plus people to thrive because Christ loves this community. And unfortunately, we have we have been um, we've we've been very hesitant to love this community back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, man. Now we're gonna get a chance to hear your story. We're gonna get a chance to wrestle with some like really important themes. And um, but before we do that, I want to ask you, what is your? I always I always like to begin my interviews by asking like a like a like a silly question. Um, so, but, but, you know, silly questions help you get to know people, you know, um, they help you get to know, 
Yeah, they help me get to know people. So, um, so I'm really interested because I was thinking about you know my favorite thing of 2021 so far, but I'm just really interested. Like, what is what is your favorite thing about 2021 so far? And I'm asking that question purposefully because 2021 didn't start out that great. <laughs> no, but do you right. have a favorite thing? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna keep it real. I don't know how political I can be, but let's just let's just go there. Okay. Um, let's go I there. love. I love seeing um, Madam uh, Madam Vice President Kamala Harris wow, strut out yes. in that, that purple blue blue purple <laughs> power suit combo with trench coat, and then Michelle Obama come out in that berry that cranberry like I lived for the first time in 2021 <laughs> when I saw that the power there, and then I was like I was looking at Dr. Biden, she wasn't looking bad either, she was looking good. I was yeah. so it was that, that that regalness. That, that that beauty was just like everything awesome. I needed. Yes. On top of the fact that we had our, that the United States has its first female um, black and Southeast Asian um, vice president. Um, and it, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful to see that. And also that we have a new president because the former one, well, we just won't say anything on that. But <laughs> I'm really just to see that beauty there. It was electrifying. It was so amazing. <laughs> wow, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Well, your favorite thing of 2021 is way cooler than mine. Well, I, well, I mean, mine. I, I think okay. mine's cool. I think mine's cool, man. I got. <laughs> oh man! All right, oh, bro. These these Bernie Sanders memes. <laughs> Do you remember? Yeah. Do you remember what was it like 2005, where the Chuck Norris jokes were like the thing? You remember that? Yes, yeah, I remember. That. This is, and everyone was like, "Yo, what's your favorite Chuck Norris joke?" Now it's like the Bernie Sanders meme is like the modern, like reincarnation of the, of the yeah. Chuck Norris joke. Because it's like, what's your favorite Gosh. Bernie Sanders meme? You know, like this Bernie Sanders meme. Man, if you have not seen <laughs> these Bernie Sanders memes, you must not be on social media. Or maybe you just don't use it a lot because they are literally. I'm scrolling through my feed. I see like five of them in like yeah you know, in a row, in one scroll. Right. Yeah, and it's the, yeah. the, the picture where he's sitting on a chair with his legs crossed and his mittens. It's just iconic, epic. He's adorable. The best. <laughs> he's adorable. It's so cute. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant, man. And they're just they're ending up everywhere. I saw one recently where someone had taken a photograph of. Um, Ellen White and some of her family members, they, they had taken a portrait sitting down together and somebody put Bernie Sanders in there. And then I saw another one today with, the, you know, the guys from Arise, um, you know, Ty Gibson and Jeffrey Rosario and, and David Ashrick. They yeah. did that table talk thing where they sat around the table and they talked yeah. about spiritual things and, you know, biblical mm -hmm. themes and they filmed it. Um, I think it's called, ta yeah, table talk is what it's called. You can see some of them on YouTube, I'm sure. But someone took a, a picture from that and put Bernie in there. But the thing that's crazy to me is whoever did this went through the trouble of getting the lighting right on Bernie. So he literally, <laughs> he really looks like he's, <laughs> it's not like a, like this is obviously like slap paste, you know, haphazard. This dude took his time, man. I don't know who that was, but he's got skills. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man, yeah. But you're right. I, look, I mean, time-wise and stuff, I, I didn't, I didn't um, catch the full inauguration. But there was a lot of excitement over the wardrobes and <laughs> the colors, and you know, um, people, people were uh, a lot of people were talking about it. So, 
beautiful. Yeah, yeah, beautiful moments in 2021 so far. You gotta take them. You gotta take them, man. Yeah. All right, bro. I'm super stoked, Paul. I'm super stoked. Do you go by Paul or Paul Anthony? Whichever one rolls off your tongue better. Okay. I like I like the I like the contraction of my name though. Either hyphenation of my name rather. Yeah. But either way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm gonna try and stick to Paul Anthony as much as I can. Yeah. yeah. Hey. It just has a cool sound to it, bro. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's do this, man. Um, we are gonna be talking about this. We're gonna do a few episodes on this because there's a lot to explore. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot to explore. So what we've decided to do for those of you listening to this is we've decided to just kind of break this up into two overarching brackets. And all I did was say, Paul, Paul Anthony, um, let's here are the two brackets. Let's talk about this. And but he, here are the two sort of meta themes. And then you just go with it. And I'm just I'm just here for the ride. And I'm here to ask questions and I'm here to learn. Um, so the two themes are the first one is 10 things to not do uh, when ministering with the LGBT plus community. Um, and then from there, we're going to move on into 10 things to do when ministering with the LGBT plus community. Um, now, I want to just kind of um, say this from the beginning as well, that what we're aiming for here is to lay a foundation again for us as missional Adventists to develop a rhythm and a flow that is redemptive and beautiful and humble for ministering with the LGBT community, uh, assuming a listening posture, right, with, with the culture as, as we seek to amplify the message and person of Jesus. Um, so this in this particular conversation, I'm not really aiming for it, and, and I've told I've, I messaged I told you this in messages as well, Paul Anthony. Uh, not really aiming to contend with the wing of Christianity that is so against, or or I suppose I should say, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I keep thinking of the word violent because it's eleven o'clock at night here, but that that word might be a bit too theatrical. But you know, like some people just like there's hyper opinionated and. Yeah. Like, I guess what I'm trying to say is this entire Padanar series, I'm not interested in contending with that type of person. And, and I'm pretty sure right. you aren't either, because when I messaged you and told you that, you didn't, you didn't say no. Um, it seemed like you were you were. Yeah. That. This, is, this is for those Adventists. You are missional. You have a missional heart. You love the culture. You love the LGBT plus community. Uh, you want to find ways to connect with them. You've got questions and, and, and you just you're trying to figure it out as best as possible. This is for you. All right. So if there's anyone who's listening to this and you've got like, you know, a giant uh, manifesto of your own personal views on the topic, uh, you're likely to probably get ticked off a lot. And if you do, don't send me a private message telling me you're ticked off because I probably won't reply um, because that's not what we're doing here. It's not what we're doing. Um, but I do want to do, like, I do want to begin the conversation here, um, um, and I want to hear your story too, man, and just, um, you know, your own journey, your own experiences as well. And, and then as we seek to wrestle with this, just, just take a look at from your experience as, as being a part of this community, you know, what are those 10, you know, 10 things? And, you know, we call it 10 because we could talk about this for literally hours and hours Ever. and hours. So maybe that's another yeah. thing I want to clarify here as well. Like, we are not going to lay a concrete end of the road you know hey everyone you know Padanar season three of the story church project is the end of the road on the conversation <laughs> it is not 
Um, <laughs> I, I really just hope that we can sort of yeah just to, just just find a beautiful rhythm and flow in, in, the, in the experiences you'll share with us as we move forward okay so i'm done talking 10 things to not do when ministering to the lgbtiq plus community um paul take us through um i haven't i haven't interacted with this list very much other than what 10 minutes ago when i saw it so i'm gonna be reacting to this in real time this is not scripted let's go for it sweet yeah, uh, again, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited about this. Uh, so I, I guess you can just jump straight in. Um, should I share a little bit of my story first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I help? actually think that's probably yeah. more more natural. Yeah, let's t- tell us a bit of your story. Okay. Yeah. Um, so my story is long, as, but it is also very short, <laughs> which is great. Um, I kind of I like to break it into a few parts so it's it's more manageable. Um, so, you know, growing up in my childhood, um, I always sensed that I was, you know, quote unquote different from the other, from the other little boys. I felt different, um, emotionally, um, relationally, I was, was, I, I, I felt very different in how I interacted with, um, the other boys, but also the girls as well. Um, and so I sensed from an early age that I was gay. And also, you know, growing up in the black community um, in the states, um, where you know, homo- there's there's a strain of homophobia that 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 permeates our community. Unfortunately, um, I was you you would always hear people, the guys throwing around, oh man, that's gay, this is gay, that's gay, or you hear people throwing around fag or sissy or all these different kinds of things, and you know, even I would do it sometimes, but it often got directed at me. And whenever it was directed at me, it really stuck. Now, that's not to say some people might say, well, see, the reason you're gay is because these people told you you're gay and you accepted it. It's like, no, I was already gay. I was definitely already feeling a certain kind of way. This is from when I was maybe four or five before I even went to school, I mean, to elementary school. Um, and I was already feeling these kinds of ways. And I was acting in certain ways that people saw and noticed. And that's when they said those things. But that's just a side point. So I was feeling different as a little as a little kid, and I had my little crushes. But you know, again, you're a little kid, you're a little boy. All you want to do is go outside and play in the sticks and the mud. Girls have cooties. You didn't really care <laughs> about. Yeah. So adolescence, as I moved through my adolescence, um, later years in elementary school, and then into into middle school, I was bullied um, a bit um, for how I carried and comported myself. And I learned that apparently this way of acting, this way of expressing myself, which is rather hard to hide because it was just who I was. Um, I learned that I can't comport myself in this way and not expect to, you know, and, and, and expect to avoid any bullying. So I, you know, started to carry myself in certain ways. You know, I've never been a broy kind of guy, never will be, but I definitely tried to, you know, I wouldn't say certain words or do my expressions in a certain way because I would be teased. But I had a lot, a lot of crushes, um, <clears throat> a lot of crushes um, during this period of time in, in middle school and so forth. And I'm really glad that I went to small Adventist schools because, you know, the pickings were slim. <laughs> Too non-existent. Basically non-existent, actually. Let's be clear. Oh, sometimes you got to praise God for, for slim pickings. Yeah, sometimes man. you got to bless God for it. Um, but moving into um, my teenage years and high school, that's when the hormones are fluctuating. 
and I, I you know, I finally got a, a little bit of um, engagement with some LGBT people, like a couple, um, a couple of LGBT people um, during my high school years. But again, the LGBT community had plus community had not received the kind of attention that it now has back during um, the early 2000s um, that it now has. And so I didn't, and I, plus I was in a private school, private Adventist school, there weren't many LGBT people and those that were LGBT really kept it on the DL. Um, so it wasn't until I went to college that I, I finally really met a lot of LGBT plus people. And I realized how much prejudice I had in my heart, even though I was gay, I am gay. Um, I reckon, I started to recognize I have a lot of prejudice in my heart, but for me, it was masked as being this concern for biblical purity or, or for, or for holiness or what have you. It was, but honestly, if I'm just going to say like what it was, it was, a, it was a form of bigotry. Um, there's a word people don't like for me to say, but it was bigotry. Yeah. Uh, we need to be willing to call out the spirit of bigotry in our lives instead of saying, well, I don't like that word and continuing to let that spirit um, fester inside of us. It was bigotry. Um, and I had to come face to face with it um, as I started to get to know other LGBT people, people who were like me. And I had to recognize, wait, these people who were like me aren't doing the things that my straight friends or pastor or the church or you know larger society has said that LGBT people do. They're just not doing those things. Um, and those, you know, by and large, and those who are doing those things, they aren't representative of all these others who aren't. And then furthermore, what about all these straight people who are doing terrible things as well? So I, I was starting to have a lot of like conflicting thoughts. I was like, okay. And, you know, being raised in, in being raised Adventist, you know, um, I was raised with a traditional biblical sex ethic that says that marriage is only between one woman and one man. And I hold that belief with a certain tension um, currently. Um, that's why I'm celibate. I'm celibate. And that means I refrain from any sexual, um, any sexual activity. Um, but anyway, so that was during college that I finally met some LGBT people. I started to realize, wow, this is not as black and white as I realized. Um, and some of my views started to shift, but not entirely. I finally came out after years of keeping this under wraps. I came out in, I believe it was February of, no, March of 2015. It was at the, it was at a joint, kind of like a joint weekend a, a weekend where it was like a joint campus ministries convention with the one project um in seattle that year no don't tell anyone i went to the one project Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. hey i went too uh when they came to perf i enjoyed it it was awesome oh true it was, yeah. it was fun event it was beautiful um and so i came out to my to my chaplain at that moment because of some things that were said and done that were because I was not thinking nuanced about this matter. I still wasn't thinking very nuanced about the matter of queer, of queerness, you know, and, and, and the church, I was still kind of, you know, stuck in some old ways of thinking um, that now I have, as I've studied the Bible, I've come out of thinking. Um, but I, I came out to my chaplain um, the following summer. I came out to my, and, and that was like the first time I'd ever told anyone. And it was a huge moment. And I, maybe I can break that down later. Um, and then over the next year, I came out to, to more people and I became more comfortable talking about it. Um, but it wasn't until the following year, 2016, the school year of 2016 and 17, 
that I went through an eight month um, long existential crisis um, where I wanted to die. Um, I, 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 I was losing the will to live because I, um, I had fallen in love with someone and I didn't know what to do with these feelings because the church is like, well, just keep it under wraps. Don't talk about it. Um, just, just deny it. And it'll, it'll go away with time. Just pray it away. I had some mentors who were well-intentioned, who gave me some looking back ill-advice about how to go about handling this. And, um, yeah, I really suffered during that eight months, not having really anyone there who I felt would really understand. And, but through that situation, God taught me a few things. God taught me humility and recognize to recognize I don't know everything about this topic. I don't know everything about my queer self, nor do I know everything about other queer people's lives. There's so many things I had to learn. And God was also teaching me to be compassionate with LGBT plus people and with myself furthermore. Um, um, and then, so through that situation, um, I, me and God, God and I just became really tight, right? Extremely tight, like tighter than we had already been because I, I, I finally let God into this part of myself that for me was just so tainted and ugly and a, and a hindrance. Um, and I, I gained a heart for LGBT people. I finally let down those guards that I had that I had built up where I didn't want to be around LGBT people because I felt like they would pervert me. It's it's amazing the kind of prejudice that we have, that Christians have, that um, toward LGBT people to the point where I, as a gay person, held such prejudice against people who are like me. Wow. It's amazing. Um, so the, the following summer, um, as I was preparing to, uh, once I had graduated from my university, um, I went to Southern Adventist University, aka the best Adventist Ooh. university. I will throw hands for that. Fact. Yeah, absolutely, man. <laughs> the best in the world. <laughs> That's right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a yeah. alum as well. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it while I was there. It's a, it's a, it's a time. Yeah. Um, the next summer, I. Um, I, I went through some um, as I, I was pastoring for a short amount of time, just the, the interim period between graduating and going to seminary. Um, and I, I I went through some persecution. And you know, even though I'm a celibate gay Christian and I hold, you know, and especially at that time, I held very, you know, a very orthodox, traditional a form, form of the traditional biblical sex ethic um, without all the flourishes that it currently has. But <laughs> um, I was very straight about it. You know, funny. Yeah, straight about it. That's the only thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I tried to share my, my testimony with the kids and the young the young adults of the church, and the the people just were not feeling it. Mm. And you know whether whether methodologically I went I went about it the wrong way, it was the fact that the church was so resistant to me sharing my testimony about as being a gay Christian at all. Mm. That was troubling, yeah. and it was very befuddling. Yeah. Like you don't. They, Literally had people telling me, well, if you if you come out, then I actually have to sit and wrestle with I with whether I really do love all people. Like I say, mm -hmm. people actually said those words. Wow. Um, my elder at this church um, told me that she could this 80 year old woman told me that she could do better ministry to people, to young people, to young LGBT plus people than a young gay pastor. And wow. I had other people tell me, you know, when I when I said I was celibate, um, they said, oh, what a shame. What a, oh, no, they said, what a waste of a man. How is this like? So I can't win. So if I get married to someone of the same sex, I'm going to hell. 
if I don't get married to someone of the opposite sex, my life is a waste. So there's also some marriage idolatry there. That's mm -hmm. something we need. To yeah, yeah, yeah. We're definitely going to unpack that, bro. <laughs> yeah. um, during that situation, I, I learned to be an advocate for LGBT people because at, up until that point, I had been a silent voice like, I'm here for you. I, I understand. At that point, I said, so this is what LGBT people have been going through mm. where you can't even church and share where you are, no matter what you believe in the matter. You can't even be in church and share where you are. I was like, that's where I started. I, I got, I like grew a really thick skin about, oh, no, not, I, I, I not, that's not the expression I want to use. I, I became very um, adamant for LGBT inclusion in the church. And then during the time I was in seminary from 2017 till 2000, uh, December 19, um, I just, I increasingly became, uh, adopted more and more nuanced views about what it means to be a queer person. Um, you know, even if, even as a person who um, maintains certain traditional views toward marriage, my views about LGBT, what it means to be a queer person became more nuanced to the point where I went away. I moved from um, just thinking about my queerness as my being gay as something I need to just keep under wraps or I need to keep under control to a thing I actually live out from. Like I celebrate the fact that I'm gay and that's a bit paradoxical for people because they're thinking, well, isn't being gay all about having sex? It's not. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll break that down. Um, and so I've learned to really capitalize on those other aspects about being gay that we often overlook because we're so because straight people are and, and the church is so focused on hypersexualizing this community. Um, that they that they fail to recognize all the various aspects of what it means to be queer. Yeah. And I think, honestly, man, I think that's what really blew my mind in your conversation with Kendra Olsen on, um, on, on the Advent Next podcast was this idea. And we're going to unpack this, you know, as we go, you know, just, yeah, unpacking way more detail. But um, mm -hmm. this idea that being gay, and I'd never heard it articulated this way before. And I was just like, okay, this is, this is, this is profound that, that being gay has been reduced to a conversation that basically revolves around are you having same-sex sex and that's yeah. it and so what you bring into the table is actually there is a lot more color and complexity to being gay than just whether or not you're having same-sex sex and and that exactly. when you unpack that and unveil that yeah it's just man I, I'm going to stop because I can't articulate it <laughs> anywhere near as, as good as, as, as you can. But that was a really sort of eye-opening moment for me because I know like we have to constantly battle. My, 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 um, my wife is a psychology student and one of the things that she's learned in her classes, I don't remember who it was that said it, but one of the principles that they live by is to resist the seduction of reduction. And, and it's... Wow. it's isn't that cool? Yeah, it's really cool. It's this idea, like, there's a temptation to reduce multivariate themes and com complex themes into reduce it to something really like a caricature because it's mm -hmm. so much easier to be black and white with a caricature and it's so much yes. easier to poke at it and yell about it and find proof texts for it that you can exactly. yell about it, you know? And it's, it's mm -hmm. so much easier to paint people with that one brush 
And really, fundamentally, the seduction of reduction, in my opinion, is a symptom of self-protection. It's a lot easier to protect yourself when you can reduce things to this caricature that you then, you know, you can put in the pile of, you know, this bad, you know. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, like when we step away from the seduction of reduction and we really look panoramically at these conversations and these these communities and these people, you find like, wow, like it's humbling. You know, it's humbling because like for me, I'm, I'm realizing like, man, I thought I got it, but I don't I don't get anything. <laughs> kind of felt like Job, you know, Job, but he was like after he spoke with God after all that mess and he's like, I bow down before you and. He's like, I have nothing to say. I have nothing to say. (laughs) That's kind of where I'm at, man. I'm just like, I have nothing to say. Just (laughs) teach me Jesus. So anyways, yeah, yeah. So so go on, man. Go on. Yes. Yeah. um, Actually, my my story's basically done. Um, And so once I graduated, once I went, once I went to seminary, I got a hold of some, some books written, um, various authors that opened my mind to, to think more nuanced about in a more nuanced way. I love that word nuance. I'm going to say it probably a billion times. It's, it's my favorite word. word. Absolutely. It's great. Yeah. Um, I'm willing to be wrong about just about everything in my life. <laughs> uh, that's how I was able to come to a place where I am. Um, I think that you can't be right about anything until you're willing to be wrong about everything. Absolutely. You can start to really hold things more firm um, and with a certain kind of certainty that's beneficial once you're willing to be wrong about things and have get into that. Um, So I had to be willing to say, I could be wrong about these matters about LGBT plus stuff that, you know, that I've been holding for so long, I might be wrong about it. And it was at that moment that I believe God started showing me, here's how you can think about your sexuality in a more, in a more robust way. That's another word I love. Um, Here's how you can think about sexuality in a more robust and thoroughgoing way. And it has, great missiological import yeah. um, for you have as a missionary for God, you have to be able to think in the moment. You have to be able to think in a broader way than just in the straight, mm-hmm. um, no pun intended, um, the straight basic ways that we've been taught to think about things. You have to be willing to go bigger mm-hmm. um, to, to, to cast a wider net. Yeah. Um, and so, so these, these 10 things are some things that I've kind of picked up, in the time um, since I was in seminary um, when I started thinking more nuanced about this. And by the way, once I graduated from seminary, I was supposed to go back to the conference that I was, that was sponsoring me, um, but for a variety of different reasons um, so, um, um, surrounding my sexuality um, and the difficulty of placing me, I was not able to get hired. That was a very messy, messy situation because very forthright with me and very upfront with me yeah. um, at all. Um, and so, um, but God opened up a door for me to, for me to do my PhD right now. And I'm really grateful for that because I want to think, I want to learn how to think more um, in a more thoroughgoing way about these, about these topics. So I can hopefully help others in the church to think in the same kinds of ways so that we can do a better job yeah. of reaching other people. For So that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah. Um, that's awesome, man. So I guess I can yeah. go ahead. Wow. Yeah, well, hey, yeah, no, we'll, we'll dive into it. But I had, there's a few few things that kind of crossed my mind that I thought I'd, I'd just um, ask about um, just to understand a little bit better, help listeners understand a little bit better as well. Um, you mentioned um, you mentioned the difficulty of occupying a space 
where you're a gay Christian, um, and then obviously you're you're celibate. That's the decision that you've made um, for your life, and you know at, 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 that's that's where you're at. Um, and so yeah. you've got people who come and say, you know, you should get married, but then obviously, um, you know, you've you've got the voice that says, hey, but gay marriage is wrong. Um, and then this is the bit that I wanted to ask because I've also oh, rather. Rather, I, rather, I, I would probably say it, and probably more so. I don't see it. Cur I currently don't see that as aligning with scripture. But I also definitely understand when people come to. I, I I definitely understand when people come to believe that gay marriage and gay sex is something that's permissible for God because it's a very complex matter. I totally understand. So yeah, yeah. I want to throw that caveat. There. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but so you've got these voices, you know, hey, uh, you got one side of the church. It's like, hey, you know, if you're gay, you shouldn't get married. It's just, you know, you've got that narrative. And then you've got the other side who's like, but you should get married and you're celibate. So it's like, oh, you know, waste of a man, which is wow. What a horrendous thing to say. Um, so they throw that in there. And um, and then so you've got that kind of caught in the middle. Um, and then I remember reading a book recently. I, I can't remember. War of Loves, I believe is the name of the book. Um, where the author, who's also a gay Christian, says that um, in, within the LGBT community itself, because he's celibate, there's resistance or rejection there as well. So do, do you find yourself kind of like in a position a lot of times where it's like everywhere you go, someone's like, you know, like don't, yeah. don't fit in? Like, because I really want to get like an understanding for myself and for the listeners as well as to you know the, the 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 space that you inhabit um in, in your yeah. journey where you are right now yeah yeah it's it is yeah i get i get that quite a bit i get it from more of the the conservative side um yeah so it's it's definitely one side so both sides actually whether you take a more progressive view of marriage on marriage or whether you take a more conservative view on marriage, both sides often commit the same fallacy of making sex and marriage this end-all be-all thing. And it's not to say it's not a great thing. It's not to say it's not a desire in probably the majority of humans to have that kind of connection. God designed us to desire that. It's a beautiful thing. And I'm not even, I don't even, often when I, when I talk with people, I don't even get into the matter of, of sexual ethics. Most people know I'm celibate. Most people know why. I find it more productive to talk about the, the, the unique gifts that God has put within LGBT people for being LGBT people, because we've often talked so much about whether people should be married, gay people should be married or not, that it's, you know, that I think gay people, queer people have um, a sense that there's nothing good about their sexuality. And I think there's so, there's just all this rich, vast gorgeousness mm. about, about sexuality that I really want to touch on. Um, but yeah, but to get back to your point, yeah, I often do sit in that tension. I think both sides or there, there's a tendency or the, the possibility for both sides to commit the fallacy of believing that marriage and sex, um, and, and child rearing even are these necessities. Um, one side will tend to the more on the more progressive side, we'll talk about marriage as a right. Um, and then, um, on the more conservative side, they will talk about marriage as a necessity. You need to get married in order to be your truest human self, um, etc. Um, both actually commit the same, end up in the same pot, of fa same fallacious pot, if you say it like that. 
um, ultimately, when I look at Jesus Christ and I see that he is the second Adam, he is everything that humanity ought to be and should strive to be. And he was a celibate man. And yet he by, by as a celibate man, he just he saved the, he saved the universe. <laughs> I struggle. I struggle to hear people say, you know, things like, oh, what a waste. You're not going to get married or, you know, well, you're never going to find love. It's like, well, that's interesting because if God is love and God is a celibate man, how can I not find love? As a <laughs> yeah, because I think, yeah, because yeah, it, it seems to me like a lot of times people look at celibacy as, and, and oh, man, we might be jumping ahead here because I know this is one of the points you bring up later on about the idolatry of marriage. So I don't want to get into it maybe too much too soon, but just to make a basic point, sometimes people look at it as like, they almost feel sorry, like, oh no, I'm so sorry, you know? And it's like, what you're bringing to the table is like, actually, um, you can be fully human and fully loved and experience all the full range of emotion and humanity and, and acceptance and community. And it doesn't yeah. necessitate um, you know, marriage and, and, you know, that, that sort of thing. So yeah, like, uh, man, I can't, I can't wait to dig into that a little bit more because it, it's tied yeah. deeply to this topic of our idolatry of marriage, especially in the modern age and the way in which we relate to it, um, that I think does add an extra layer of complexity to people who are navigating this, um, from, yeah. from within the community as a layer of complexity that I suppose is, is really, yeah, really worth deconstructing yeah. and challenging. Yeah. Exactly. And it's actually that, that was one of my points that I, that I want to talk about. And we could talk about later because, you know, ultimately, if often straight people are dismissive of just what the, the difficulty of what you are saying LGBT people must do in order to be godly. And I just encourage straight people. It's like, really, if you think that this is the way that straight that, that queer people should live, you know, whether or not it's true. Have you actually stepped back to really consider what you're telling someone when you're saying that, that this person cannot be sexually sexually um, intimate um, with someone that they would be naturally inclined to be sexually intimate with? Have you ever stepped back to think, you know, if you were to divorce your, your wife or your husband right now and give up your kids and give up your ability to, to sexually gratify yourself or someone else, have you actually can you actually say that you would be able to do that right now? If you can't stop and say that you can do that so easily, and even if you can actually, but um, if you can't stop and say that you can do that easily, why would you dismissively or so flippantly tell other people to do? That? I, I think my big my biggest concern for on behalf of LGBT people and my biggest con, my my biggest con, um, con, um, problem with with straight people or the church in general. Is that there's a lack of compassion? There's a lack of existential consideration. Mm -hmm. This is a, this is a very existentially um, difficult matter, mm -hmm. and we handle it. We handle it very tritely and very um, flippantly, yeah. as if it's nothing. That's right. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I suppose if you have a and okay, let me make this statement and then let's jump into the 10 things because I, I feel like this could take us, I don't know, <laughs> but, but it's not on the tip of my tongue, so I'll throw it out there and I'm sure it'll come back mm -hmm. up. But I think, I agree with you. I, I totally agree with you. And I think part of the difficulty, at least in, in my experience, is when you have a, a very shallow view of God and in turn you have a very shallow view of 
humanity. Mm. And you have, in turn, a very shallow view of sin. Mm-hmm. It's natural to, from there, just develop shallow views about everything, you know? Yes. Um, and so if, if, yeah, like, oh man, I can get into that because obviously, you know, some people would want to know, like, what do you mean by shallow views of God and humanity, et cetera? And, and yeah, that's a, the rabbit trail that uh, perhaps not right now. <laughs> I'm sure we can maybe come back to it later. <laughs> but yeah, I think a lot of times that this lack of nuance and this lack of depth and this lack of existential utility, um, within the Christian community comes because we, yeah, we're, we're not thinking about God deeply and we're not thinking about humanity deeply and we're not thinking about sin deeply or each other. You know, we've, we've gotten so used to platitudes. We've gotten so used to cliches. We, we've, we've developed a script that we are safe and comfortable in and whatever doesn't match that script, we don't think deeply about it. You know, we just kind of, hey, we put it in that pile over there. Um, And then the thing that makes it difficult is it's it's so easy to find a thousand proof texts to support your script, you know, because proof texting is using the Bible without thinking deeply about or exploring deeply about what you're saying or what you're quoting um, and the context and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think this just the shallowness that 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 many people experience in the LGBT community in, in, in the church towards um, the experience of being gay is a symptom of a shallowness that permeates almost every aspect of our theological and existential conversation. Um, it, it's, it's a part of that. And I think in many ways, moving forward, not only with the gay community, but with many other issues that we have to contend with now or even in the generations to come, um, moving forward must necessarily involve a, a renewed way of looking at God and scripture, you know, like really yeah. revisiting what it means to be a, a, a profound Christian. Anyways, anyways. I think the first place where I would start is, um, is not, is don't assume that you understand LGBT plus sexualities. Okay. Okay. A lot of, a lot of Christians, um, assume that they already have a baseline understanding of what LGBT plus um, sexualities are all about. So that's why you'll often hear, um, you'll hear, oh, it makes me cringe because I've done this before. I did this before when I was, when I was younger and I, when I, and I hadn't studied these things out. I, you, I would often use transgender and gay synonymously. Mm. Or you'll, it, it's just, it, it, they, the, these things are, are, are very distinct from each other. Even as they're related in certain ways, they're very distinct from each other. So I would encourage people, um, and this is a very basic, this is just a, a very basic, don't do this. Um, I, but I encourage people to go out and actually study what these various types of sexualities um, are all about. Maybe go and actually meet, go and meet a lesbian, a gay, a gay man, a bisexual, a transgender person, a queer person, an intersex person, an, ace, an asexual person, um, pansexual person. Go out and actually meet these individuals, people who are from those, those particular communities and or get some literature on it and read these things because often people often christians are not that well studied they're not well studied in these in understanding these sexualities um because we've assumed we've treated the bible as a psycho psychology textbook a science textbook and and it's just not (laughs) (laughs) we've assumed that it makes statements about about sexuality that it doesn't make 
or it doesn't make in a very thoroughgoing way because it's not concerned with that. It's a salvation text. Yeah, <laughs> and right. it touches it touches on the matters that it is concerned with from history or from sexuality or what have you that, that it is concerned with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I encourage people go and study, go and study some psychology. Don't assume that what you, or, or go and study some philosophy or what have you. Don't assume that what you have deduced from reading the Bible is, is a thoroughgoing explication of what queer sexualities must or must not be about. Yeah. Um, so that would be the first thing is just, you know, don't, don't assume that you understand LGBT sexualities. There are so many things that you don't understand and you're, you're going to go up, you can go up to a, go and get into a conversation with a queer person. And, and I use queer as an umbrella term, by the way, I probably should have said that at some point. So I use queer and LGBT plus synonymously, um, as an umbrella term. Um, you, you might engage with LGBT people or queer people and not realize you're talking you're talking past them or it's not getting to them because they're like, what are you talking about using gay and transgender interchangeably? Mm-hmm. Like they're going to think you sound ridiculous and uneducated and you're going to give, give them a reason to think, oh, it's just another one of those Christians who doesn't know what they're talking about. So it really, it behooves us to do our homework yeah. and actually study what LGBT plus sexualities are all about. Absolutely, man. So that's the first yeah, yeah. Wait, let me let me let me bounce some ideas off of you with this because I think um, three things come to my mind as you share this. The first one is the danger of a singular narrative. In fact, I'm pretty sure there's a TED talk called that. <laughs> um, either single story or singular narrative, um, because putting myself in devil's advocate's seat over here um i can i can hear people saying things like and again like i'm not really like i said at the beginning i'm not really interested in like playing a ping pong game with people who want to argue about this stuff because i think most missional adventists are just like ready to soak it in and learn but just to lay the lay, lay the context um i can hear people saying things like but i listened to that guy over there who used to be gay and his story says this, and so whatever he says is, you know, and, and, and that happens. Um, and what I often yes. do is I warn people is like, you know, beware of the danger of a singular narrative. Like one yes. person and one person's experience, even 10 people and 10 people's experiences cannot be the litmus test for an entire, you know, you, you can't homogenize an entire group of people based on one set of voices or one voice even with this podcast series like i want to encourage people you know like i'm here i'm talking with paul anthony turner he's sharing his story he's sharing his ideas he's sharing his views um but i want to encourage people just as you just did like man get out there and and meet members of the lgbt plus community right meet people in the queer community um interact with them listen to their stories learn from them um and so that would bring like the second thing second idea that that kind of came to mind as you were sharing that and it's um i learned a long time ago you don't truly understand someone until you can defend what they believe as though you believe it even though you don't believe it Mm -hmm. and so what i mean by that is it's really easy for me to look at postmodernism, for example and study postmodernism and get books on postmodernism with the intention of let me find everything that's wrong with it. 
and then I'm going to argue with it. And I'm going to go to the bookstore and I'm only going to get the books that are written by the authors whose perspective I already agree with because I know they're going to be critical. And then I, you know, and so by the end of it, what you'll have is you'll have a false understanding of postmodernism. The way to understand postmodernism, and, and this applies to the LGBT conversation as well, right? The way to understand someone and um, to really, really, truly understand someone is to study the way they see the world with the with the goal of appreciating it. Yes. With the goal of finding yeah. beauty in it. No matter how hard you might think it's impossible. Study the world, yeah. right? See the world through a queer person's eyes with the goal of finding beauty in it. And yes. even the bits you disagree with, right? Like if I can sit down and 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 I can sit down and argue with someone, for example, um, about why Buddhism is true. Now, I don't believe Buddhism is true, <laughs> but I can sit down and argue with someone about why I believe it's true because I took the time to understand why a Buddhist believes it's true rather than let me study Buddhism so I can find all the holes in it. You know, <laughs> it's a totally different experience. Um, and I think the reason why people are so hesitant to do just what you're saying is because they're afraid. I think maybe two things. They're afraid that they will come to believe the things, mm -hmm. one. And then two, in, in coming to believe whatever things it is, they're going to be dishonoring God. Mm -hmm. those are, I think those are I think those are the reasons we don't want to study out and really be able to defend what other people say because yeah. we don't want to we don't want to believe what they believe. And, and furthermore, because we're afraid that it's going to cause us to be dishonoring to God. Mm -hmm. So yeah. absolutely, I, I think it's and look even from my own story, everything I've just said. Let me not sit here and act like I've always done it that way. <laughs> you know, there was a season in my life where I would have done the exact opposite. But as I think back through that season of my life, it was, it was, it, it would have, it was the season of my life in which I was most deeply insecure about what I believed. And that's what I learned. If you're insecure about what you believe, it's very difficult for you to see the world through someone else's eyes because you're afraid of losing the way you see the world. You know, so there's a sense of insecurity there that you have to contend with. And then the last thing, which is, again, you mentioned as well, um, don't presume that you understand LGBT plus sexualities. Oh man, it makes me cringe. And if it makes me cringe, it must give you seizures. When people <laughs> in church conflate the gay scene with the gay community. Yeah. Oh man. It's just like, it, it betrays how out of touch they are with the conversation. Yeah. So for those who are listening who are probably like, what are you talking about? Um, I'll let you explain it. <laughs> yeah. Actually, this was, this is actually a second point that I was, I was going to make. So perfect segue. Um, yeah. Is this, don't assume that what you hear in the news or in media, don't assume that those things are necessarily true. Don't assume that those are true for all LGBT people. Um, and don't assume that what you that what has been presented is exactly what actually happened in those situations or what, you know, what have you. Um, LGBT plus people are not a monolith. We are as diverse as any other community. We are diverse racially, we are diverse theologically, um, religiously, um, politically, relate um if I didn't say racially already, um, in, in, in every way, we're, we're very diverse. Um, people have different dispositions, different personalities. Um, 
Some people are very sex positive. Some people are not. Some people are, you know, some people are more risque. Some people are not. It's no different than with straight people. I mean, straight people are, they, they're, anyways, I'll get into that. But let's just say, <laughs> yeah, the media has tended to hype the LGBT community as this very promiscuous community. And then it causes straight people to forget. Y'all have had all this going on in the straight community for thousands of years. Yes. This community as a category of people has only existed since the mid 1800s and really, really, and it's only really come into what it currently is more modernly um, since the 1860s and 70s. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of catching up to whatever all the bad things that are the unhealthy things that straight people have done. But it's interesting how quickly straight people forget the things that they have been doing that have been unhealthy, ungodly, because now here's this here's this new group of people that has been identified rather. Mm -hmm. They're not new as in gay people have always existed in a certain sense, but newly identified in, in, in history, in the grand scheme of history. Yeah. Here's this new community and look at these weird things they're doing. They're so promiscuous. Look at them in their 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 pride parades. Um and look at all look at all these you know all these different things that we that we find to be um ungodly or strange, but how quickly straight people forget all the unhealthy things that they do and how many unhealthy heterosexual things permeate our cultures. Absolutely. Um, which, so which that, by the way, I think is a point that we, we're going to plug into as well later on is the false assumption very, that the opposite of yeah. homosexuality is heterosexuality, as though mm -hmm. heterosexuality was some inherent, like inherently holy thing that we should all strive for. Anyways, yeah, we'll, we'll deconstruct that. I, I, I'm looking forward to that, man. <laughs> I love busting that bubble. It's it's really fun to see the look on people's faces once I challenge them. Oh mm. uh, well, we'll get to that. But yeah, 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 that's yeah. like my part in all of these discussions. It's like that's once you good. pop that well, <laughs> absolutely. Man. You don't have any LGBT people anymore. But anyways, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, like I, the reason why I, I I struggle with that is because as you're saying, you know, and you know, like I've heard people who came out of the gay scene. By the way, for those who maybe are still like, gay scene, gay, gay, you know, I'm sorry, gay community, what's the difference? The gay scene is basically what Paul Anthony was just saying. It's a term that's usually applied mostly to the very promiscuous party, you know, sleep around type of culture. Um, and there's an Which assumption, yeah, there's an assumption that everyone who's gay, that's what they're into. Yeah. And so you'll hear people say like, oh, I came out of, you know, I'm no longer gay because I'm not in the gay scene anymore. And think, and, and so you walk away with this idea that like all gay people, uh, like you hypersexualize them, as you said earlier. The only thing they're interested in is sex and all they want to do is like go to parties and sleep around. It's like not, not true. The gay scene and the gay community is totally different. I know people in the gay community who find the gay scene absolutely repulsive because of its promiscuity yeah. and its, you know, licentiousness. So yeah, like, you know, something as basic as that, like if you, if you don't understand those distinctions and you're having these conversations and you're making these assumptions and these blanket statements and you're homogenizing people and, 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 and you know, you, you operate off of this monolith that doesn't really exist. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a reduction, right, um, of, of a very complex group of people. The likelihood that you can have a redemptive journey with them and the likelihood that you can minister with them in any sort of virtuous or utilitarian capacity, I would venture to say is probably 
like zero. <laughs> if you're just if you're operating off of assumptions and you refuse to, you know, like sort of take the time to really explore, to really listen and find the beauty in their worldview and their stories and their conversation. Yeah. Remember that there is a straight scene that is even more ubiquitous. Yeah. It's older, and I would argue is even more as even unhealthier uh, if I could, if I could, if I can say it like that. Um, but anyways, maybe we can t- we can touch on that. Definitely, we can touch on that later. Yeah, man, um, I'm looking forward to it. Now it's it's almost midnight here, and so long as I'm oh, talking, true. so long. And here's the thing: so long as I'm talking, my wife's not sleeping. So <laughs> she's yeah. like, "Why are you gotta be so loud?" I always gotta remind her. I'm Puerto Rican, you know. Like the, we're we're just we're loud people, you know. You grew up in a Puerto Rican house, and you live in this I'm tiny dead. house. And, and, and it's a tiny house, right? It's a tiny house because, you know, you grew up in Jersey. Yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. tiny house and, and your mother's still yelling at you. You know, the food's ready. And it's like, yo, I'm right here. I'm right here. <laughs> you can whisper and I'd hear you. You're still yelling. Yeah, that's how we roll. But um, so, hey, let's, um, yeah, let's, let's, let's wrap it up for tonight. Let's close it off for tonight. And then we'll get back together um, and, uh, and, and keep having the conversation. 